19th century author Mark Twain once said that the the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. According to uh, recent studies, the average life expectancy in the United States amongst uh, both men and women is approximately 28,000 days or, or roughly 78 and a half years. And, and Mark Twain concludes that of the 28,000 days that uh, the majority of us will have the privilege and opportunity of experiencing uh, that the two most important days over this entire span of life is the day that we're born and the day we realize why we were born. Now think about it, of, of, of all the astonishing and life-changing encounters that we experience over the course of our lives, of, of, of all the accolades and accomplishments, the, the birthdays and graduations, uh, marriage and childbirth, buying your first home or, or landing your dream job, the day uh, you, you, you kicked your addiction or decided to stand up for yourself, watching um, your children grow up to chase their dreams and to, to reach their goals, watching uh, your home sports team finally reach the pinnacle of their sport, taking uh, the step to, to launch a new business or to write a book or to, to start a blog um, or to just chase your wildest dreams. Mark determines that of the 28,000 days that, that will walk this earth, he concludes that of all the amazing and life-altering and uh, groundbreaking moments that we'll experience and witness over the course of our lives that these two days are more pivotal and significant than any other. And while I, I, I never had the, the privilege of, of asking or talking to Mark Twain to have him expound on his thought process, I think it's safe to assume that uh, he came to this conclusion after acknowledging the following. Number one, that uh, the first day speaks to the conclusion and manifested result of a process, while the second day speaks to the commencement of our purpose. Uh, it, it, it's safe to assume that uh, he concluded that, that the first day answers the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how, while the second day answers the why. The first day uh, announces, I'm here to the world, and the second day pronounces, but before I leave. Uh, it's it's safe to assume that the first day can be, uh, at times, you know, be labeled an accident or a mistake or you know a temporary lapse in judgment. And for others, that that's not the case. But the second day will absolutely validate your existence uh, and aligns you with your destiny. And what I what I like most about uh, Mark Twain's quote is that although we're speaking of two distinct days that are generally separated by um, a significant amount of time, the the two days aren't mutually exclusive. They don't uh, uh, contradict or cancel each other out, but on the contrary, they're they're mutually foundational for each other, because it's impossible to have uh, purpose without the existence of life. But on the other hand, what's the existence of life with the absence of purpose? And I often, I often wonder uh, how many cemeteries are filled with people who uh, wandered through this journey called life without ever um, truly grasping, without ever truly comprehending their God-ordained purpose. 
people uh, more athletic than Michael, more uh, talented than Picasso, more skilled than than Beethoven, but uh, for one reason or another, died without ever reaching their purpose, without ever identifying and fulfilling uh, their purpose. This quote, the the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and uh, the day you find out why has been uh, the topic of several debates and articles uh, initiated and authored by the likes of theologians and scholars and, and Christians alike over the years. And many have, have taken aim at the quote as being off base and saying that it's inaccurate and it's it, it, erroneous. And while I don't feel like the quote is in, incorrect, I I would have to agree that it, it may be incomplete because you see, as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe that the most important day of our lives is, is when we both acknowledge and accept him as the Lord and savior of our life. Thus, thus establishing it, it as uh, the day that we weren't just born, but the day that we're born again. But it's, it's critical that uh, we understand that while being born again affords us the privilege and the opportunity to embrace and understand our purpose, it doesn't automatically reveal it to us. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I accepted Christ as, as my savior, I didn't have this supernatural uh, experience where I was, you know, taken into the heavens in an out-of-body experience where God just outlined the course and the direction of the purpose of my life. To be quite honest, it, it, it was the exact opposite. There were more questions along the lines of, of where do I go from here? What, you know, what next? I've been in church uh, all of my life. I've seen my parents do this thing all of their lives. But what did I just get myself into? And there was still this lingering question long after uh, I accepted Christ where I asked God, what did you create me to accomplish? There have been many nights where I've flat out just asked God, like, why am I here? What, what did you put me on this earth to do? And I think that if we were to be honest with ourselves, there are uh, many, whether they believe in Jesus or not, that have struggled with some of these same questions. They've uh, continued to wrestle with these same thoughts. Uh, people who have spent thousands and thousands of dollars seeking answers uh, from the likes of coaches and counselors and psychics, those that uh, have paid hundreds of dollars for every self-help book imaginable and have watched every uh, Tony Robbins TED Talk looking for answers, seeking answers. And it's during these times where uh, we have to be intentional about drawing closer to God, uh, intentional about seeking God, because if we aren't careful, we'll start attaching ourselves to uh, the first thing we can get our hands on in an attempt to establish our identity, to establish uh, some form of our identity or to try to define our purpose in life. And, and as a result, many have ended up with uh, what I'd call a false concept of their purpose, because instead of seeking God, they found their identity in their uh, possessions or their positions or people. All of which I've been guilty of, but all of which at one point or another will uh, fail you and will leave you disappointed and, and ultimately unsatisfied. But but what I've learned is that simply confessing uh, to believe in Jesus isn't enough either. Simply believing uh, in Jesus and, and being born again doesn't unlock the mystery to our purpose, but it does achieve three things in relation to our purpose. 
Number one, it, it, it positions us to access our purpose. Number two, it prepares us to accept our purpose. And number three, it empowers us to accomplish our purpose. The Bible says in, in uh, Hebrews 13 and 21 that the God of peace will equip you with every good thing to do his will. And may he accomplish in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And I'm a, a huge advocate for um, post-secondary education. I believe that there are skills and opportunities and, and even experiences that you gain through college that are unique to that particular season in your life. I'm a firm believer in having a mentor and creating a, a growth and development plan that charts the course, so to speak, uh, to get you ultimately from where you are to where you want to be. But with all that said, with, 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 with all of that said, I wholeheartedly believe that the positioning, the preparation, and even the empowerment to obtain and accomplish our purpose can only happen through Jesus Christ. But what if, what, if, what if by chance I challenged you today and said that in addition to uh, living a life that's pleasing to God and uh, not being ashamed to share uh, the gospel or, or loving the poor and the sick and the oppressed and that uh, aside from, from just doing good and loving your neighbor and, and doing your best to raise respectable, uh, you know, God-fearing children and earning an honest and decent living, that there is something specific that God has designed and hardwired and manufactured and created you to do? What if I told you that uh, the dream you had of owning your own business wasn't just some random idea or just some uh, quick get rich scheme, but it was a, a seed planted by God in that uh, as you seek him more, he'll begin to cultivate that seed until it begins to produce fruit in your life. What if uh, I said that your natural, artistic, and creative ability isn't just a random fun fact about you, but uh, is the gift that God has blessed you with that will propel you into uh, a career and make you a light for an entire industry. What if uh, your, your innate nature to lead and to mentor uh, and to coach wasn't just a skill set you used during normal business hours, something that you turned on and off uh, or that you utilized on a sideline, but is merely a, a stepping stone into using uh, your influence and your power and your position to lead hundreds, if not thousands? And I guess the, the, the bigger question isn't what if I told you this was true? The bigger question is, is how would you respond to it? That if I, if I told you that God wanted to uh, use you and your family to inspire your city and your community, how would you respond to it? If I told you that God wanted to uh, use the mess and the filth of your past to uh, create a message of hope and redemption for somebody that uh, has hit rock bottom in your circle of influence, how would you respond? If I told you that God said that uh, it's time to write that book or it's time to um, launch that business and he'll use uh, that business or that book or that dream or that idea to reach corners of the world that uh, you don't even know exist, how would you respond? If I told you that, that God said it's time to uh, step outside of your comfort zone and to step out on faith into something new and uncomfortable um, that is unpredictable, that will force you to uh, trust him in ways that you never have before, how would you respond? How would you respond when you're confronted with uh, the reality of your purpose and it involves uh, risking more than you're willing to lose? 
It involves confronting giants bigger uh, than you're willing to face and facing uh, insecurities that you aren't willing to expose. And it's awesome because if if we want to study a man whose uh, purpose obligated him to encounter giants and challenged him to uh, overcome his insecurities, then look no further than Moses. The story of Moses is one of the most fascinating accounts of history ever documented in the Bible. Moses was old. Moses was uh, insecure. He was a terrible communicator. He was a murderer who had uh, an identity crisis. And yet and still, he was the man that God chose to uh, ultimately deliver the Israelites from the oppression of the Egyptians. I was uh, reading through the book of Genesis the other day, and I came across an exchange between God and Moses, and I was immediately uh, captivated and immersed in uh, the scriptures that I read. And what what really intrigued me the most about uh, the dialogue wasn't necessarily Moses's response to God, but it was God's response to Moses. A question, in fact, which is uh, the basis for today's podcast. If you have time, I, I definitely encourage you to um, read the third and fourth chapters of, of Exodus to get uh, a better of idea of, of what I'm talking about here. But uh, what we'll find in the third chapter of, of Exodus, uh, as Moses is on the backside of the desert tending to uh, his father-in-law's flock, is that he's met by God through the midst of a burning bush. And it's during this uh, initial interaction where God talks about how he's seen the misery of the Israelites and how he's heard their cries due to um, their Egyptian slave owners. And he goes on to talk about a good and spacious land that he's planned for for the Israelites, a land that's flowing with uh, milk and honey that that is um, equal to prosperity and how there's a promised land reserved for them. And it's about midway through uh, the third chapter where God finally decides to tell Moses that that that, hey, you're the one that will stand before Pharaoh to bring uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. On five different occasions, five different occasions between the third and the fourth chapter, Moses tries to talk his way out of his purpose. And he's he's obviously uh, horrified by the assignment that he's been given. But what I love about God is that each time Moses tries to question his purpose and position, God reaffirms his election and validates his qualifications. It made me stop and and consider how many times has God had to reassure me and validate my qualifications at those times when uh, times when I felt like I, I wasn't good enough. When I felt like there was uh, someone more educated, more anointed, or or more talented, uh, when I felt like my insecurities were were too much of a hindrance for me to uh, be successful, when I felt like there was no way I can move forward with this type of past that that I have behind me, and it's during these moments when God has every right to say, uh, you know what. I'll find someone else that that's more interested. You know what? I'll I'll find someone else that 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 thinks that they're more qualified or more prepared for the assignment. Surely there's there's somebody that will be uh, excited about this opportunity. God has every right to to go down that path. And it's during those moments when God chooses to say this is uh, this is exactly why I created you. This is when uh, God chooses to uh, reaffirm and validate us when we're questioning uh, our qualifications and questioning uh, our purpose and our position. 
And God goes just on to say, as as I formed you in, in your mother's womb, I, I, I had this very moment in mind that you are more than capable because I qualified you. No, you uh, aren't able to handle this on your own, which is uh, where a lot of us, myself included, just being uh, vocally self-critical, which is where a lot of us get in trouble. Uh, But God says, no, you can't handle this on your own. But just know that if uh, I before you, then then who can be against you? When Moses questioned, who am I I that I should stand before Pharaoh? God responded with, I'm I'm certainly with you. And moreover, here's a sign that I have sent you. When Moses was uh, afraid of being questioned about his authority by the children of Israel, God responded with, uh, tell them I am who I am sent you. When Moses said that he wasn't eloquent enough and was uh, a poor communicator, God responded with, I'll be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. And when Moses insisted that God send someone else, God just just send somebody else that that's that's more fit, that's more qualified, that's better positioned. Uh, God anointed a spokesperson uh, in Aaron to speak on his behalf. And God absolutely does the same thing for us when we find ourselves uh, questioning who am I to to lead this assignment to to be in this position when uh, we we vocalize or communicate our fears uh, about our authority or we may not uh, have eloquent enough uh, communication skills. It's those moments when God chooses to validate and affirm us. But my favorite exchange between God and Moses is found in in the fourth chapter of Exodus. And it it reads, uh, verses one and two, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. What I love most about this exchange is that God doesn't ask Moses, um, some complex or indecipherable question that would take months to understand, let alone answer. He asked Moses something that uh, they both already knew the answer to. And so there's some 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 life changing principles that I that I just want to spend a, a moment or two unwrapping in these two verses that I believe uh, have the power to change not only how we see ourselves, but more importantly, uh, how we view God. And the first thing that I want to, want to highlight or call out is that before God uh, will ever call us for, to something, that he'll equip us first. And so if, if confronting Pharaoh and uh, delivering Israel were to be Moses' destiny, then being uh, a shepherd in the wilderness was to be his training ground. So for 40 years, Moses wandered through uh, the backside of the desert, learning how to lead a flock of sheep. And I've never had to uh, to shepherd a flock of sheep, thank God. But but I imagine that uh, as do humans, they oftentimes have a mind of their own, that they are uh, hell bent on doing things their way, even uh, when you can see further ahead and you're trying to keep them from uh, pitfalls and roadblocks. I imagine that sheep are uh, singularly focused on getting what they want and that uh, it, it takes repeatedly giving them the same direction over and over and over before they uh, end up where they're supposed to be. And Moses had the responsibility of ensuring that uh, that they were safe, that the flock of sheep was well fed and, and watered because at the end of the day, they didn't belong to him. They belonged to his father-in-law. 
But little did did Moses know that that his assignment as a shepherd wasn't some just mundane obligation that he was required to fulfill. It was uh, more than a mundane obligation. It was it was preparation for his purpose. Before God called Moses to uh, lead his people, he had to trust him with leading someone else's sheep. Before God could uh, entrust Moses with the weight of a nation, he first had to entrust him with the weight of a flock. So when Moses begins to uh, question God's decision-making ability by telling him that he's not qualified or capable enough, all God has to say is for for 40 years, Moses, I've watched you care for a flock of sheep that wasn't even yours. For 40 years, I've watched you grow from a, a timid leader to a man capable of leading thousands of sheep. For 40 years, I've watched you lead sheep through uh, the wilderness, and now you're ready to lead my people. And so I guess the, the, the question today is, what is God equipping you to do? What is God uh, equipping me to do? What mundane, boring, uh, repetitive, vague, and, and unsatisfying position uh, are we currently in where God is trying to equip us for something greater? What, what skill set, what character trait, and uh, what abilities are God trying to develop and sharpen in us right where we are? And before God can ever uh, release us to, to what it is that he called and created us to do, he first has to equip us. And it's this stage where uh, most people quit. It's this stage where uh, most people decide to give up because they don't see immediate results in this stage. They don't uh, they don't see things happening fast enough. They see other people growing and succeeding at a quicker rate and and pace. And rather than staying content with their position, they start to complain because of their perspective. It's almost uh, reminiscent of a, of a movie we watched growing up called Karate Kid. And Daniel is this scrappy little kid that uh, continuously gets bullied and beat up. And he finds himself at the house of, of Mr. Miyagi, the famed Mr. Miyagi. And he begs and begs Mr. Miyagi to teach him how to fight and to uh, teach him how to defend himself. And Mr. Miyagi has uh, an unorthodox way of teaching young Daniel the basics and fundamentals. But rather than doing it in a dojo or in uh, a martial arts studio where you would think that type of training would take place, he, he has him wash and wax his cars and he has him uh, paint his fence. And while Daniel sees these as mundane, repetitive, vague, and, and even unsatisfying on the surface, what he's learning underneath all of that is how to defend. He's learning uh, how to block, how to position himself. He's learning hand-eye coordination and rhythm and balance that he didn't have before. He's learning technique. And Daniel is, is, is on the verge of quitting. He's, he's uh, on the verge of being done with Mr. Miyagi. I've had enough. This isn't what I signed up for. I didn't ask you to teach me how to wax cards or paint fences. I asked you to teach me how to defend myself. And it's until Mr. Miyagi begins to show him that he's been teaching him uh, the fundamentals of karate all along. And, and the same is true for us. Some of us are... Uh, in positions and places, and we're on the verge of quitting, on the verge of throwing in the towel and just being done. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I hoped or expected it to be. Uh, because again, on the surface, it feels mundane and it feels repetitive and insignificant and unsatisfying. 
but maybe just just maybe it's possible that something uh, can be both mundane, boring and repetitive, but is exactly what you need in this season of life, because in it, you're learning how to position yourself. You're learning uh, hand eye coordination and it doesn't always seem or feel like it, but maybe this is where you're finding your rhythm and your balance and your technique. And rather than than quitting and walking away and, and throwing in the towel, maybe you should just keep coming back. You should keep showing up. You should uh, keep making good on your promise that uh, you should keep delivering results because what you're doing in this season is you're learning the skills, you're developing the characteristic, you're, you're honing your craft. Uh, it's just not being done in a dojo. It's not being done in a martial arts studio. It's not being done in the setting that, that you identified when you started out on this journey. And it may feel like a, a run-of-the-mill nine-to-five, and it may be draining or, or exhausting and unfulfilling, but uh, what ultimately happens is that if we start to change our perspective on things, then uh, we simultaneously and by default begin to change our position on things. And so once David realized uh, what Mr. Miyagi was teaching him all along, then he approached everything differently. It wasn't just an old beat-up fence it, it, that he was painting any longer. Uh, it, it was the object that was teach him, teaching him how to uh, maintain his balance. It was teaching him how to defend himself from, uh, from an attack. And so he approached that fence with enthusiasm. He uh, approached it with vigor. He approached it with the right mindset because he now saw it for what it really was. It wasn't just a car that he was waxing, but now uh, it was the building block for the fundamentals uh, that he wanted to develop. But how much time will we, we spend, uh, you know, quote unquote, complaining uh, in the wilderness or while we're waxing that car or while we're we're painting that fence when all along God is just trying to teach us the fundamentals? The second thing that I want to uh, highlight, highlight or call out is that God will use oftentimes ordinary things in our lives to accomplish the extraordinary. And whether it was. Uh, the slingshot of a rugged shepherd boy named David that killed uh, the Philistine Goliath or the rod of an old shepherd named Moses that was used to split uh, a sea into two and to lead uh, millions of people from Egypt to the promised land. I'm convinced that that God can and will take what's in our possession and will use it uh, to propel us into our purpose. And so the question is, what currently do we have in our possession? What currently do we have in our hands that we've deemed as ordinary and uh, insignificant and maybe even useless that could actually be the tool or the skill or the talent that God uses to take us from where we are to where we want to be? What's in our in our possession? What has God given us uh, stewardship over that he could potentially use uh, to impact the world? How have we valued or or devalued what we have at our fingertips, our influence, our talents, our network, our finances, our friendships, uh, our resources, our gifts, and just our natural abilities? Oftentimes, uh, I believe that God wants to bless what we have before he blesses us with more, before uh, I give you more influence, before I give you more resources, before I give you uh, a greater network, I need you to understand what you have uh, and utilize it till its full potential before I can expand what you have. 
But we have to be be careful of how we evaluate what we deem as as priceless or worthless in our lives. What we uh, what we consider significant. And equally as important is what or whose measuring stick are we using to determine uh, the value of what we have? Because if it's up to the world, the value of who we are and what we have will fluctuate as radically as the stock market. Because the world's goal is to get you to want more and more and more. To think that we need what we don't have until we work our butts off to obtain it, just to be introduced to something later that we'll think we'll need and we ultimately end up in this vicious cycle. And so when Moses started to question his purpose and his position, God didn't ask him to measure himself against the world's standards or value of success. He simply asked him, what's in your hand? In essence, uh, he asked him, what have I already given you? I, I don't need you to look out. I don't need you to look at anybody else or for anybody else. What's in you? What, what, what have I planted in your heart? What have uh, I placed in your hands? And what are you already in possession of that will silence the rhetorical question that you replay over and over and over again in your head in regards to uh, your worth and your value and your purpose? God will use the discarded, the neglected, and the devalued things to conquer the world just to show us the extent of his sovereignty. The last thing I want to, I want to highlight or call out is the fact that God uh, freed us, that God freed you from your past so that you could use that experience, that insight, that knowledge, and that wisdom to deliver somebody else from theirs. Your story is never just about you. It's never just about what you went through, what you had to overcome, and how you had to find a way to succeed. And while that's all commendable and, and admirable and praiseworthy, uh, it's not where our story should end with look at me. When God set, set out to free the children of Israel from Egypt, he didn't go and, and handpick someone that couldn't understand or relate to what it meant to be enslaved. He didn't find someone that was uh, out of touch with what was happening. No, he found someone in Moses who was intimately familiar with the details, someone who wasn't just sympathetic to what was happening, but was empathetic. You'll find several stories and in, in verses in the Bible where it says Jesus was moved with compassion, meaning that whatever he had just experienced, uh, whoever he had just come into contact with, the story he had heard, the news that he had just received, the statistics that uh, he analyzed was so impactful that it forced him to move, that he couldn't just sit still, that he couldn't hear uh, the statistics. He couldn't hear another headline. He couldn't come across another family and just sit still. It forced him to do something about it. Everything that, that you've gone through so far in your life to get you to this point, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, uh, the lessons learned, the mistakes you've made over and over and over again, and, and the victories you've experienced, the things you've accomplished, the goals you've achieved, the freedom you've reached, was all experienced so that in turn you could help someone else experience the same freedom. So what are you going to do about it? 
who are you going to uh, to come into contact with? What story will you need to hear? What news will you need to receive? What statistic um, will you need to analyze that moves you to help somebody else find the freedom that you experience today? And no, you may not be where you ultimately want to be, but you're not where you used to be. Yes, you've been equipped for greatness. Yes, you were made with a purpose and for a purpose. Yes, God wants to use the ordinary things in your life to produce and accomplish the extraordinary. But maybe maybe Mark Twain, in fact, did have it all wrong uh, in saying just that the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Maybe there's a third day in there, and it's the day you help somebody else find out why. I don't know. But, but I do know that you were equipped for greatness. And on those days where uh, you and I start to question our purpose and, and our potential, may we stop looking outward for validation and acceptance and authentication. But maybe look inward to what God has already placed in us to remember how valuable and priceless we are to him. And may that always be enough to keep us moving forward. This is the Kitchen Table family. Until next time, be blessed. Be blessed.